Chris Sweeney. Tom's pals. How are you? I'm well, thank you for asking. How are you? Well, I'm really well. Welcome to our podcast. It's great to be here. Um, uh, Chris, uh, should I introduce you or would you like to introduce yourself? Um, introduce I'm me, Tom. Introduce you. Chris Sweeney yeah. is a great friend of mine. He's a professor at Harvard and he uh, has had... Um, a... Career developing therapies in um, in prostate cancer and uh, Chris, is that fair? I'm delighted that you say that, and I'm honoured to be a part of the team that's doing the work. Um, Silky, I can see you've joined us too, and I think your phone might be ringing in the background. No, this is this must be yours. It was. I tried to deflect the attention. Silky Gillison uh, is a, uh, another great friend of mine um, who's recently moved um, back to Switzerland and. Um, is um, in Lugano doing, uh, leading the group down there and uh, is also very involved in development of treatment and guidelines in prostate cancer. And Silky, it's fair to say you lead the ESMO guidelines, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> GU <Beautiful>. guidelines. <laughs> yes. GU guidelines. So, Obviously. look, um, um, why don't we start by just talking a little bit about prostate cancer, because uh, I don't know that much about it. And perhaps you could fill me in with a little bit about what happened at GU ASCO uh, and maybe a little bit as well about ASCO, because I know there were some really important things uh, at ASCO particularly, uh, and sorry, and ESMO, and what's happened over the last six months um, in terms of changing the way we think about prostate cancer. Uh, and Silky, would you like to start? Yeah, um, so ASCO GU, I think for me, actually, one of the most interesting abstracts I think we talked about it, but came, came from England, and I'm also a bit biased because it's Stampede again, um, the English-Swiss study. But um, I think it was really interesting to see because they looked for global quality of life and different parameters of quality of life in a setting where, actually, Chris is really an expert, when you start ADT and Nowadays, as you know, guess I guess, Tom, um, we are adding something to ADT. So one of the options is abiratron, prednisone, and the other option is docetaxel. And they looked at the quality of life in patients who have been randomized at the same time to one of these drugs in addition to ADT. And to me, and I, I'm really interested to hear what Chris thinks, it was really interesting to see um, and Hannah Roche showed that, that the quality of life was better with abiratron, specifically really early on, but also later um, after, the, after the chemotherapy had stopped. So I thought this was actually really interesting because in that setting, I think it's so difficult to decide that someone comes with metastatic prostate cancer, you want to add something on to ADT and there's always the question should you give give a novel endocrine agent or should you give docetaxel and there was a real big difference in quality of life at 12 weeks at 24 weeks but there was also some difference after two years so I found that actually pretty interesting so maybe Chris what do you want to say so on face value, yes, that all makes perfect sense. It, it is not surprising that a cytotoxic chemotherapy has side effects that would be picked up on a quality of life. Um, I think the thing to do is try and put all the data in perspective 
Um, if you're giving a cytotoxic agent to someone who's not going to benefit from it, you're more likely to get toxicities rather than benefit and quality of life decrement. So that's not surprising. What we saw with chartered, we saw the quality of life was actually better with docetaxel in the patients who had the poor risk features and ended up having the survival benefit, the high volume patients. So whereas the low volume patients who we didn't see have a benefit um, in terms of overall survival did not have ha- did not have a quality of life benefit. So when we pick any agent, we're weighing up risks against benefits. So um, in total, it's not surprising. Chemotherapy causes some side effect and some quality of life decline. The other part about the abiraterone, there's a component of prednisone, which can cause a little bit of an up um, in some patients in terms of quality of life. So um, the data is not surprising in that regard. The question is, um, really when to use docetaxel, I think, n- not if to use docetaxel. So another way of looking at this is saying a um, patient comes in front of you, are they a docetaxel candidate or not? And are you going to use a hormone or uh, and where are you going to put the hormones in? Because if a patient's a docetaxel candidate, you either want to get it up, give it in up front or after they've had the hormonal therapy. So I- an argument can I Does ask that make sense? Question, yeah, question. So, um, so we can ask a question for you. So I'm, you know, I'm asking as um, um, a, a doctor who doesn't treat as much prostate cancer as either of you do by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> um, I've got a high risk patient in front of me at the moment, treatment naive. What's the what's the discussion about the optimal treatment for them as it currently stands? Uh, Chris, in a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as so the high, so we we don't make that much of a difference with the high and low volume, but but let's see, we have say we have this high volume um, patient in front of us. So as I said, so we have in the moment insistent you can give almost everything. So you could give enzalutamide if you ask the the health insurance. You can give abiration. You can give give docetaxel in addition to ADT. So in that sense, it was really kind of interesting and helpful for me to see that there seems to be in total also after some years like two years there seems to be also a bit of um, better quality of life with the abiraterone so you, you're late. giving the abiraterone then yeah i mean i discussed okay, with the patients no wait, wait 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 i discussed with the patients right because yeah, sometimes sure, sure, they sure. Want you're to, gonna, to but, do but... a tablet one sometimes they don't want to but i think there's two good options and but i would go more into the abbey after that, Chris, where are you? I basically laid out and uh, go with see what the patient's up to. So, if they are fit for, first of all, are they actually fit for chemotherapy? Are they going to tolerate it? Yes or no? If they are, the conversation starts. If they're not, it's one of the hormones. That's the first thing to just say. In my impression, the patients with um, the high volume disease tend to have a bigger magnitude benefit when you look at all three studies, GSOC 15, it charted and Stampede. So in total, so I st- say, look, it's, I think it's an option. You can get the six weeks of treatment. There's a quality of life hit, but at the end of it, <laughs> it comes back to um, where it was. You, you, your cancer's controlled longer and you stave off the cancer symptoms. You can tolerate the chemotherapy more likely early rather than later. Some people say, well, what about the hormones? And we need to go through the side effects. Well, do I have to be taking a pill 
four pills a day for how many years and what's the cost? And so some people will say, I want to get the chemotherapy out of the way. Others say, I've got life events such as I've got to be in court because I'm a barrister or a lawyer and I want to look my best and I don't want to be on chemotherapy. So I think there's no one particular answer. It's either it's not when. Tom, it's take it. that phone. It's Does actually minor. Yeah, I'm walking away. I'm walking away from it. It's a good interrupt because I understand what you're saying. So, Silky, just for me in renal cancer, we get really nervous about patients not getting access to all the therapies. And therefore, we try and, you know, we, we're going through a process where we're giving therapies up front as you are in prostate cancer at the moment. Um, just in terms of your, how many patients who you give Abby? LHRH2 never end up getting chemotherapy and is that a bad thing? Yes, that would be a bad thing, but I guess this is really depending who sees these patients, right? So if there's someone with experience who's going to also monitor the patients and try to get um, the next therapy as soon as the patients really need it. So, so again, this is probably something that is not only measuring PSA for me at least, monitoring and I'll pick up on that, Tom. So when you're on these super low uh, androgen suppression agents, the PSA would not be as reliable an indicator. It may just move a little bit and they may have some significant radiographic progression indicating a need for a treatment switch. So um, the I do follow that line of thinking. You were thinking develop a strategy to get, if they're a candidate, to get most both drugs in as quickly as possible uh, in at the right time. If we show that the concurrent therapy is better for a subgroup eventually between long-term follow-up of Stampede and the um, Aracent study with darolutamide and docetaxel, it'll be, it'll be less of a question. But at this stage, I think you've got to try and aim to develop a strategy to get both drugs in. Um, and it's up to the patient as to which way they want to get them in. And one argument for getting the docetaxel in, as you say, is that they're more likely to be able to tolerate it upfront than after being on um, abiraterone and prednisone for two, three years because they may get more weak, they're tired, um, muscle loss, have a fall from the, all of the uh, uh, muscle wasting that may go along with prednisone that you have for two, three years, et cetera, et cetera. Chris, what about, what about enzalutamide? Why have neither of you said you want to give upfront enzalutamide? Um, because the study was limited to abiraterone that kicked this off. I do think enzalutamide is completely replaceable with abiraterone. I think apalutamide is completely replaceable. Do you agree with that, Silky? Efficacy-wise, yes. Side effects, probably not entirely. Why not Correct. side effects? Oh, because the side effects are different from the antigen receptor antagonists and the abiraterone. Worse or better? Uh, excuse me? Are the side effects for enzalutamide or abiraterone worse in this environment? This depends really from the patient, right? Because with abiraterone, you need prednisone. So everyone who has kind of contraindications against prednisone is not perfect. Yes. Then also abiraterone does hypertension, fluid retention, hypokalemia. So you don't want to give it to someone who needs like other drugs who do that anyway. And then salutamide has the big problem of fatigue in my eyes. 
That's and, very helpful. So listen, I'm going to draw a line uh, under that discussion unless you two want to No, 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 wait. Else. No, no, we, we want to add something because oh my goodness. actually <laughs> actually actually Chris had a fantastic and he will like that because it's luminal B, it's a bit like bladder. Um had a, a fantastic or oh, his Arnie's helmet, his um fellow had a fantastic talk about the subtypes that could be maybe predictive biomarkers and that would really help us to choose the treatment. So maybe Chris can talk a bit about it. Absolutely. Yeah. So again, it goes back to, can we identify the patients most likely to benefit from a given therapy at a given cost of toxicity? And um, so this luminal B phenomenon, about 50% of patients who have metastatic disease have luminal B and about 50% have uh, basal and very few patients actually have the luminal A type. And it looked like the dose attacks will benefit in a small subset who we could get specimens and we could do gene expression profiling, benefited from the chemotherapy, well, luminal B, but not the basal patients. We're going to follow that up with samples from the Stampede study and the patients who got um, docetaxel in the uh, Enzymet. So that's a work in progress, just trying to work out the risk benefit and um, Chris, do you know what genes are involved in that process, or is there are there drivers that you're aware of? Or? It's it's a list of about fifty different genes. Yeah. Um, and MIBL two's in there. It there it's basically it's unclear which other key drivers uh, for the sensitivity to docetaxel, but it gives us some good clues for biological studies going forward. Why have you been so? Why has there been such a, a lack of development of biomarkers in in in, in, in prostate cancer? Why has it been so difficult? Well, some people would say we've made advances when you look at BRCA2 and the <laughs> DNA damage repair. Yes, so, you're not so bad. Um, so there is that who have a, a predictor for benefit from a PARP inhibitor, maybe platinum. So we've got that segment. Yeah. But what we would say is these broad biomarkers, these panel sets, I think uh, between what we've got with the samples collected from Chartered, Enzymet, and Stampede Abiraterone and Stampede Docetaxel and the ADT alone, we will actually have close to multiple thousands of patients with annotated prospective data where we can do training and validation. This PAM50 luminal B versus basal is the first shot across the bow, but we've got a very strong plan and with the Stampede team led by Gerda Tard and, and his uh, team, Emily Grist and Marine, Marina Parry, um, and what we're doing with Chartered and Victoria and the biostatisticians at Dana-Farber and ECOG, and then what we're going to be doing with Enzymet with Ian Davis and um, Arun Nazad. So we've got a global team to actually really go down into uh, DNA exomes and gene expression profiling as well as circulating biomarkers. Chris, we're going to... Uh... But, I guess, but, but I guess, Tom, you know what, what I think is important to state, and that may be a bit naive and a bit basic, but we don't have these classical driver, driver mutations like in lung cancer. We have one one thing that's very important and it's very similar to breast cancer and that's the androgen receptor but it's so important that we don't even measure it before starting ADT because it's it's so so frequent that it is expressed so so the other thing is is really we, we have this the BRCA mutations obviously and the DNA repair defects but this is not kind of a tribal mutation as we we have in lung cancer so so I think also with with all what we're doing we're probably not gonna get there but I don't know what Chris thinks about that I'm yeah, gonna well, draw a line with the biomarker piece yeah, and we're sure. gonna move on because we've only got five or six minutes left <gasps> so, okay um, 
let's move on to a different topic. So is there something particularly that you or Chris wanted to talk about that you saw at um, ESMO or GUASCO, or do you want to move on and talk about that that park story? Which which, which you which you fancy? I think the 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 Bob story was at ESMO, so you can have it all in one. And you can also say the uh, the Cabaza Taxel piece too, Silka, yes. I reckon. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I think ESMO two things was the the Broca the profound study that I give to Chris. And the the court study that was the third line capacity access study, um, and I think that was really the first time that we had have seen a third line working in prostate cancer, and that is capacity access and other taxane therapy after the patients had have one novel endocrine agent and. Docetaxel. So this was a randomized phase three trial giving the other novel endocrine agent, but we have now really, really learned that this doesn't work very well, or cabocetaxel and cabocetaxel one for the primary endpoint and also all secondary endpoints. So it hit survival, sequencing Enza and Abby didn't work particularly well. Is that a fair comment? That's a very fair comment. Yeah, the, the other the and the other way of saying that, Tom, is the hormone switch enza after Abby or Abby after enza is the easy approach, but it's not necessarily the right approach. At have, least in the patients who had not a response that was from the durable. duration longer than one year. What's Correct. the survival benefit with Cabo? What's the hazard ratio? Vaguely, it's a little bit less than point seven, I think. Uh, yes, it was about 0.69 or something. It was about right. 0.60, so it was very Six impressive. Point, That's a great right. result. But um, it wasn't the primary endpoint. It wasn't powered for that. We have to say it was radiographic progression-free survival. But it was the primary endpoint. But, but, it, was, practice but it was still good. Silky, back to the question we asked before. So that second-line chemotherapy, is that right? Yes. So how many patients, if you give um, Abby first... How many patients get frontline and then second-line chemotherapy? How can you make sure, because I asked the question, how do you make sure your patients get frontline chemotherapy? Um, to maximise survival, it sounds like sequencing chemotherapy is the right thing to do. How do, you, how, do, how do you address that issue? In reality, a lot of these patients had docetaxel at start of ADT because it's, it's a study that just finished and the albiratron data wasn't not that long. But, I mean, you can do that because if someone doesn't respond to docetaxel, you switch to cabocetaxel. And in reality, cabocetaxel for the patient subjectively is better tolerated. It has a bit more of hematotoxicity, but I also use the 20 milligrams per square meter and not the 25 milligrams per square meter that were used in the trial. Can you substitute cabotaxel and docetaxel, or is that not allowed? No, cabotaxel you can own is only approved even in the states after docetaxel. So there really is a case of going through chemotherapy to get the what could be the more effective agent. Is that a controversial statement? Yeah, and probably not completely true. So I guess you we all think that you need to give docetaxel at some time point and one of the novel endocrine agents. And after that, there is cabocetaxel. Um, Chris, before you answer the question, ask the question about PARP and, and talk about that, could you just talk about how the carbazitaxel data changed you, the way you think about prostate cancer? Um, it's a very important drug that a lot of people just thought it's another chemotherapy and I don't want to use it. Whereas I think this gives people a lot more enthusiasm to think long and hard about getting that in, either after a hormone switch, if they thought the patient was a hormone switch candidate, or in place of the hormone switch 
approach. It's, um, it reaffirms its role. A lot of people were downers on cabazitaxel, but a lot more people were starting to say, well, actually, this is strong, solid data to say that I need to really consider this in my armamentarium. I call it a chessboard, and this is a one of the chess pieces that we should use mm -hmm. at some stage. Um, I'm going to move on, if I may. I'm going to ask about the, the PARP storage. Do you want to just give me a sort of a, a one-minute summary on, on what, where we are with PARP inhibition and prostate cancer right now? First of all, if you can access genomic profiling, and as much as possible the metastatic disease and determine if they have either a, a somatic or a germline, but also pairing it with their germline DNA to work out uh, are they a candidate for PARP inhibition. Um, and what proportion of patients have that in prostate cancer? Depends what you call a, uh, a pathogenic variation, variant. Yep. Um, so I think it's very clear and strong and solid BRCA2 homologous uh, mutation deletion that's a non-functional bracket to um, that's your patient. It's a lot more of a, it's a longer conversation for all the other uh, potential variants like ATM and the like, but bracket to biallelic loss, harp inhibition without question and strong benefit. And gabazitaxel wasn't that much. It's a, it's benefit looked about the same as PARP inhibition, maybe a little bit weaker, but it's still in that class. So if you can't get genomic profiling, you can't get a PARP inhibitor, still go with the chemotherapy because it still works. But if you can get the PARP inhibitor, go for it, BRCA2 homologous. And which a, PARP a um, Whichever one you can get. Um, <laughs> um, this, so, this study was with Olaparib. Yeah, correct. <laughs> so but and it, whichever one's approved and you can get, or, do it on, guess, or get them on a trial. So, and, and one of the problems, Tom, I think that came out, out a bit of that study is that you have to screen, obviously, a lot of patients. So your question is about 15, 20% of right. all patients, um, but you don't have good enough material in a lot of patients. And I guess this is, is one of the problems that you're going to probably lose some patients because the quality of the material is not good enough, because the tests are, are, are quite difficult. I think it was about 17% of the patients they tested for this study you, where it didn't And you really go back and use well. historical material taken years before, or do you need to have a biopsy, or how do you get, you know, is, is old... How, the answer how, to that, Tom, is you're more likely to have a bracket, have the mutation in the later stage disease right. because some patients acquire it with time. So if you can get metastatic CRPC, it's more the yield is higher than localized hormone-sensitive disease. Yeah. So you try for the metastatic disease, but as Silka says, it's never 100%. And the 15% rate is all the potential DDRs, right. but the BRCA2 is the most prominent one that you should really double down on. But the other thing we should not forget, Silka, is if you do find a BRCA2 mutation, uh, the patient should be sent for germline mutation testing. Well, if you do see something that looks like a uh, germline yeah. mutation in the somatic, yeah. they should be sent for germline testing and cascade testing of their relatives or counselling at least. Yeah, now, this absolutely. We're drawing this to a close. We've probably got a minute and a minute and a half left to go. Silky, Chris, is there any burning issue that we need to discuss that's happened in the last six months that we haven't covered? Silke, you go mm. first. Yeah, my burning thing is that not enough my patients <laughs> get 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 really bone targeted agents um, for their like cancer treatment induced bone loss. So, so really, I think this is something where all of us should be very aware that if you start ADT, you take away the testosterone, it's gonna give our patients cancer treatment induced bone loss and we have to think about it we have to substitute vitamin d calcium 
and look if they need, if they have an increased risk, risk of fractures. And so almost have you got a consensus is... statement? Have you got a consensus Sorry? statement around the corner? Is there that, that the St. Gallen meeting? Is that something which is that, ongoing? That's what we're going to discuss at the next podcast so that everyone comes and listens. So that's going to be fantastic. going to be a fantastic podcast. And we're going to discuss in detail around the findings of that. But Chris, Chris a... yeah, <laughs> sorry. My big sorry, thing so is... You go, you go. You go. I'm, I'm being too bossy. You yes. go. <laughs> As I said. <laughs> Where is David? David, come David, ahead David, you're so much better at this than me. So much better. Much calmer. Um, Chris, tell me, what a, what a burning issue for you before we sign off? Not burning issue, but just we should, everyone should just look back and just see the incremental process. Every meeting that we're having, about three of them a year, are all just adding a little bit more texture to how we can uh, treat patients better. It's not one drug versus another. It's all of the drugs at some stage for some patients. There's radium that's still got a role in some of these patients. Um, some of the vaccine therapies still have a role. It's that we're learning with time who benefits from what and when. So... It's not one the Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola war. It's which drug when for the right patient. And we're learning that. And we shouldn't lose sight of, if we're talking about one drug, it doesn't mean we're excluding another one. I'm going to think I'm going to call it there. Um, anything to add from either of you? Or can we call it an evening? I think call yeah. it an evening, a morning, a day, a day, morning, an afternoon, <laughs> wherever you are. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time today. I really enjoyed this and I've learned a great deal. And I'm looking forward to that prostate cancer um, consensus uh, discussion that we're going to have in the near future. Okay. Looking forward to it too. Thank you both very much. Cheers, Tom and Silka. Bye-bye.